Jesus himself said in Hebrews chapter 10, I don't have this verse on the screen for you, just listen to it. Hebrews chapter 10, Jesus himself said that the volume of the scriptures are written about me. That's what Jesus said. The volume of the scriptures are written about me. And that is Jesus. And he's not talking about the New Testament. Jesus was talking about the Old Testament. The volume of the scriptures are written about me, Jesus said. So if our New Testament, Jesus, is described in the Old Testament, I think we owe it to ourselves to know more about that. If Paul said, Paul the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, if he said that all Scripture is God-breathed and it is good to teach us, and guess what? Paul was also talking about the Old Testament. He wasn't talking about the New Testament. The New Testament had not been written. So I believe if that's even what Paul says, then we owe it to ourselves to know more. If God took his time to give us some kind of creative glimpse of Jesus Christ, then I think that we owe it to ourselves to know more. We owe it to our Creator to look at this masterpiece that he has created. It's kind of, we've been describing it as a four-dimensional work of art. And I think we owe it to him to look at that, to appreciate what he has done, to admire what he has done, and then also to potentially allow that creative art piece that God has put together, allow that to possibly even change our perceptions. So God has these things that he calls holidays. They are days that he had specifically set aside for the nation of Israel, and he wanted them to focus on some things that God chose for them to focus upon. That's what he was doing. All of God's holidays that he has in the Old Testament, they all look backwards to some kind of historical event or, or some kind of history of Israel. But each one of those holidays also looks forward as it reveals a prophecy. Now, we understand the history side of this, but sometimes we struggle with the future part, the prophecy part. Because for us, a holiday is just a holiday. It looks backwards for us. You know, it's like Thanksgiving for us. It only looks backwards. Um, for us, the 4th of July, it only looks backwards. Most of our holidays, if not all, they are simply looking backwards at history. So when we say a holiday is also looking forward, that's kind of foreign to us. But God's holidays look back at something that happened and they also look forward that some, uh, at something that is either going to happen or by now at our date in 2018, something that has happened by now. So they have possibly, some of the things we're going to look at, have already been fulfilled just as the holiday might require. Now, one of the very first holidays that God requires of the Israel people is called, uh, these are feasts, and, and this kicks off what is called their festival year. And the name of this holiday is called Passover. 
Now, God's calendar that he operates off of with the Jewish people is what's called a lunar calendar. In other words, it, it operates with the phases of the moon. Passover, it's a, well, not Passover, this calendar for God is a 28-day cycle because that's how long it takes to get from uh, no moon to a full moon. And here, Passover in the Old Testament occurs on a full moon every single time. Passover in the Old Testament is a feast of salvation. It's how God acted on behalf of Israel. All of Israel who chose to follow God as he led them from slavery in Egypt to freedom. But it's also a picture of what Jesus has done to save all who would choose to follow him from the slavery of sin into freedom. From the very first time that God instructs the Israelites to observe this thing called Passover, this festival, it's almost as if God is saying, the coming Messiah is on his way. Can you see? Can you see him now? That's, it's almost as if God is saying that to the Israelite people through this festival. Let's look at how God commanded them to observe this. I'm going to quickly read through several verses here. This is where they received the law and God said, you will observe these holidays. Here's how it starts out in Leviticus 23, starting with verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, so this goes all the way back to the very beginning of the nation of Israel. God is speaking to Moses. Verse 2, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. In other words, they're very, very, very special. Verse 3, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of complete rest, an official day for holy assembly. It is the Lord's Sabbath day, and it must be observed wherever you live. So the first thing he says is, every seventh day, that's a Saturday, he said, every seventh day, you will observe the Sabbath. This is what he's telling the children of Israel, the Israel nation. Now, verse 4, in addition to the Sabbath, these are the Lord's appointed festivals, the official days for holy assembly that are to be celebrated at their proper times each year. And here he gives us the first one, verse 5. I'm going to end with this. The Lord's Passover begins at sundown on the 14th day of the first month. Now, the first month of the festival calendar is a month called Nisan. And he's saying on the 14th of Nisan, you will as a nation celebrate the Passover. Now this actually didn't start right then when God gave them command. From today, approximately 3,500 years ago, when the, the nation of Israel were still slaves in Egypt, that's actually kind of when the very first Passover took place. We can read about that in Exodus chapter 12. But right, and right, it took place right before Israel left and took off and had their freedom away from Egypt. And as God commanded during that night, every single Jewish home, they were to mark the post of their door from, from the, the house. They were to mark that with the blood of a sacrificed lamb. And today, as we are breathing right now, every Christ follower 
marks his house because your body is called the temple of God. So you are the house and our house has been marked with the spirit. In other words, the blood of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, is covering your house as well. Now, back in Egypt, the death angel passed over and did not uh, did not do the dirty work to any Egypt to any uh, Israel home that had the blood of that sacrificed lamb on the house. And likewise, for you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus, the blood of Jesus being on your life means that this death angel passes over you as well. This is pretty significant. Now, to me. This is very, very remarkable. You see, Jesus was God's chosen sacrifice for all of, uh, of those who have souls within his creation, which is all of you. You have souls. And this sacrifice of Jesus happened on the exact day of this one day festival called Passover. So if that's the case, I think we need to understand what this Passover looks like, what they were told to do on this Passover. What does it mean? What is it all about? And then finally, if we could answer this question, what is the 4D picture, the four-dimensional picture that God has given us through this festival? It's been celebrated the way I'm going to describe it Every single year for over 3,000 years. And it's still celebrated that way today. So what happens? Here's where it all begins. The Jewish family, whether it was way back then or whether, it's, uh, or whether it is up to the time that Jesus was uh, walking on this earth. The Jewish family would take great time and effort as they got ready for the Passover. So they would actually start four days early. If the Passover is on the 14th of Nisan, they would start on the 10th of Nisan. And they would, uh, each family involved would select a sacrificial lamb. Now they don't do that today because there is no temple in Israel any longer. It was destroyed in 70 AD. They don't do the sacrifice part, but they do all the other parts of the Passover today. But in the day and time that Jesus was here and thousands of years before that, they did select a sacrificial lamb. Every family would pick one out four days before the festival began. So on the 10th of Nisan, they selected the lamb that they would sacrifice. And they would take that lamb home, and the lamb had to be perfect. There could be no flaws that they could see, that they could notice. It had to be perfect. And they would bring that lamb home, select it as their choice, and they would really kind of be proud of that. They would display that lamb in their home. Now, it is no coincidence that according to God's calendar and God's timing on that very day, the 10th of Nisan, it was a Saturday, Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem. Do you remember that story? This is just not long before, this is just days before Jesus would die on the cross. He rides the donkey into Jerusalem and he is presented to Israel as the Messiah. And he was accepted by them. 
He was their choice. Jesus was proclaimed at that moment perfect as the Lamb of God. Isn't that bizarre? The very same day all the other families were selecting their lamb for sacrifice, Jesus rides in on a donkey as the Lamb of God, and he is accepted by the entire nation of Israel. This was the 10th of Nisan. That happened, their days go from sundown to sundown. So the 10th of Nisan begins at sundown Friday, and it goes through sundown Saturday, back on that day that Jesus rode the donkey in. The 10th of Nisan happened to be a Saturday that day. All the sacrificial lambs had been chosen that day. All of them had been accepted that day. And now Jesus rides in on a lamb, on a donkey as the lamb. And he himself is accepted. Which, by the way, happens to be the exact day... That 600 years earlier, Daniel prophesied that that would happen. That the Messiah would ride in on a donkey and be accepted by Israel as king on that day. Is that a little bizarre? That is God's timing. That is God's calendar. Listen to how the people respond to Jesus as he comes in riding on this donkey. This is in John chapter 12, starting with verse 12. The next day, the news uh, that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. And here's their acceptance of Jesus. They shouted, praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Wow. And the purpose of this king was to die. If that was the 10th of Nisan, the very next day, obviously, is the 11th of Nisan. It's from sundown Saturday to sundown Sunday. And Jesus, on this day, the Lamb of God, he was still on public display as he was moving in and through Jerusalem. And he was teaching. He took many opportunities to teach. Some of his most well-known parables and prophecies took place during this several days leading up to Passover. So if that's the 11th of Nisan, the next day is the 12th of Nisan. From sundown Sunday to sundown Monday. This happened to be a quiet day for Jesus. He was in Bethany. He spent that day in the home of Simon the leper. And meanwhile, as Jesus was there in Bethany, Bethany was just two miles away from Jerusalem. As Jesus was there in Bethany, the conspirators against Jesus, they were meeting to plot his destruction. Then we have the 13th of Nisan, the very next day, sundown Monday to sundown Tuesday. And this is a big day. It's still not Passover yet. It's still the day before Passover, but this is a big day. Monday, uh, Monday sundown Monday to sundown Tuesday. And then we have Nisan uh, the 14th, which is the actual Passover day. And on this particular year, uh, the year that Jesus died, it happened to more than likely happen from sundown Tuesday to sundown Wednesday. The 14th of Nisan, big day, because this is when God said, you will celebrate the Passover on this day. This was the day that the Passover lambs were actually sacrificed. 
And it is on this day, this very day, the 14th of Nisan, that Jesus celebrates Passover with his closest disciples. And it's Tuesday, as the sun, after the sun goes down, this is when it takes place. This is what the New Testament also calls the Last Supper, if you're familiar with that term. It was actually the feast of the Passover. New Testament uses a word called the Last Supper. So this was later that night then, after they finished the Passover, that Jesus would be arrested in the garden when Judas betrayed him. And then that night, after several trials, Jesus would be beaten horribly, and then he would be crucified on Wednesday afternoon. I know you hear often, a Good Friday. It's just not accurate. You don't find that in the scripture anywhere. That goes back to Christian tradition when they were trying to separate themselves from the Jewish religion. There is no Fridays can be good, and it's all it's a fine time to think about the sacrifice of Jesus, but it didn't happen on a Friday. More than likely, it was Wednesday. It's possibly happened on a Thursday. But Jesus was sacrificed according to God's timing, on God's calendar, according to God's plan, and it was the very same day that all of the Passover lambs were sacrificed. So let's look at this Passover very quickly. What is it all about? I already told you that the Passover uh, preparation actually began four days before Passover, on the 10th of Nisan, by selecting that spotless perfect lamb. But then on the 13th of Nisan, one day before the Passover was to take place, the family would remove all the yeast out of the home. All of their homes were completely yeast-free by the end of the 13th of Nisan. That means no bread at all that had any yeast in it. You could only have in your home unleavened bread during the feast of Passover. All the yeast was taken out, out with the leavened bread prior to the holiday. In the Bible, leaven, this yeast represents sin. And it's as if God is saying, you need to get your homes clean and free from sin. Get rid of all the sin in your homes. It just represents sin. It's not sin, you know. It represents sin. He says, get rid of it, all of it. Get it out of your homes. And for us today, it's as if he is saying, get that sin out of your life. Get You have a sin problem. I have a sin problem. He said, this, this needs to be cleaned up. So after all the leaven is out of the Jewish home, the next day is the 14th of Nisan, and that's when the Passover takes place. The preparation is made by putting uh, white out on the table as a tablecloth. The father even dresses in white. It kind of resembles uh, the high priest of Israel. And just as the high priest of Israel is leading the nation through this Passover time, the father in the home, kind of as the high priest of the family, is leading this family through the Passover. The high priest of Israel points the whole nation toward the sacrifice of that lamb. And father, in that same vein, that same type of action, acting as kind of the high priest for the family, is pointing the entire family to the sacrifice of their lamb. 
Now, it's only the ladies in the home as the festival begins. It's, it's only the ladies in the home that light the candle. I find that very unique. As the Passover ceremony is beginning, um, the mother comes over and she lights the candle, which is interesting to me. If, if it is only the ladies who can light the candle, we happen to know that Jesus is also called the light of the world. And Jesus came to us through the Virgin Mary. So the candles are lit. The celebration is ready to begin. The leaven is out of the house. It got out the day before. The candles are lit. The celebration is ready to begin. The father pours the first glass of wine. This is the first cup of four cups of wine that will be used during the Passover ceremony. And this first cup of wine is called the cup of sanctification. It had, it's called that today, and it was called that 3,000 years ago. It's the cup of sanctification. You know, the, the entire nation of Israel has been sanctified. That word sanctified means to be set apart for something special. The nation of Israel was sanctified by God, set apart, because it was through the nation of Israel that he would send Jesus, the Messiah. They were the cup of sanctification. And you know what? It's also the cup of sanctification because Jesus was set apart for one specific purpose, and that was to die for all of us. So the Father pours the first cup of wine, and it's the cup of sanctification. The next thing that the Father does, the next thing he does is he takes what's called the matzah. Now the matzah is the unleavened bread. And it was uh, very flat like this. There's no yeast in it. It didn't rise. Um, this, is not, uh, this is not delicious yeast rolls that you get at Lambert's <laughs> if you've ever been there. Mm -mm, this is not it. This is unleavened bread. There is no yeast in this at all. It's very flat. The father takes the matzah. He actually takes three pieces of matzah and he puts them into a linen bag that has three separate compartments. So he places the matzah inside the linen bag, one on each of the end pockets, and then he takes in that center pocket and places one more. Now, this is part of the celebration. He places it in. Now, interestingly enough, after he places it in there, he removes the center piece of matzah. He takes it out. And then with that, he breaks it in half. Interesting. He breaks it in half. He takes half of it and puts it in a special linen bag. All right. He puts it in there. And then he, he wraps it up. I don't think they had zippers 3,000 years ago. <laughs> but he wraps it up. If they did, someone missed a great marketing opportunity. He wraps it up in a white linen bag and he hides it. I don't have a great hiding place, so I'm just going to set it back here. But Father then hides that. At this point, now four questions are asked, and it's usually asked by the youngest child. They're the same questions asked every single time, every year, the very same questions. But with these questions, the father answers them, and it gives him the opportunity to tell the story of the Passover, the historical part of the Passover, the part that is looking backwards. He gets the opportunity to tell that story of how 
uh, the nation of Israel was freed from slavery in Egypt. So how did it all begin? For us, I mean, as we look back today, 2018, looking back 3,500 years ago, how did it all begin? Well, it did all begin with the Exodus. So as this evening celebration goes on, the Father leads everyone in a multi-sensory, really a worship experience, for lack of a better word. He leads them in this four-dimensional look at what God asked them to do. It uses what they can touch. It uses what they can smell, what they can taste. It's really a 4D experience. As he's telling the story, as the father's telling the story um, of what it was like for the nation of Israel to be slaves, he has all of the family. He has This is called a Seder plate here, this plate. And in that plate, he has all the different elements of this story of the Passover that he's going to be talking about. So from one of those spots on the plate, he picks up some horseradish or some bitter herb. And he has the family taste that. And he says, as bitter as that is in your mouth, that's not even close to the bitterness that, that the Israelites experienced as slaves. And then he has them, he takes some, uh, some parsley or something and dips it into salt water. And he has them taste the salt water. And he describes that that is like the tears that the Israelites cried when they were in slavery. And then also on the plate is a, a, a shank bone of a lamb. And he talks about that moment, the sacrifice of the lamb, and how they were, as a nation, saved by the blood of the lamb. Now think about this with me. God, the creator of everything, so obviously he has the most creative mind possible, that is God. God could have chosen to deliver in any way that he wanted to. He could have delivered Israel any way he wanted to. He could have delivered you and me from our sins any way that he chose. But he chose something very unique, something very creative. He chose to give us a picture of his process of salvation As any creative mind might, he did it with this picture of Passover. This was not merely looking back at what Egypt uh, had and, and Israel went through as they were freed. No, this is also looking forward at what Jesus did for us. So God had them select a young male lamb without any flaws days before Passover. They were to examine that lamb very carefully during those days. One lamb per household or two if it was a small household. But they must be sure of its perfection. Already, it's not hard to see the picture of Jesus in this lamb. And this was happening 3,000 years ago. And we were getting a picture of Jesus. Before Jesus was ever born. God had the Hebrew slaves in Egypt sprinkle the blood of that lamb on their doorpost. 
And God sent that avenging angel through Egypt, passing over all of Egypt and killing the firstborn from every single home if that home did not have the blood of the lamb. So the angel passed over all the homes covered by the sacrificed lamb and did not touch those families. The Israelites were literally spared by the blood of the lamb. And that was just a picture of what God was going to be doing thousands of years later through his only son, Jesus. They were free from Egypt. The father is telling the story in the Passover. Freed from Egypt and they were headed towards the Red Sea. The father tells of all the miracles that took place as they were traveling. He goes on to tell of them crossing eventually into the promised land. And as he gets to that point, he picks up something very sweet off of the Seder plate. And then he has them taste that and he he reminds them, as sweet as that is, it was so much sweeter to cross over after years and years of being in the desert to cross over into that promised land. The father continues to tell this terrific, exciting story. But next, next the father comes to the second cup of wine, the second of four cups. And this this represents the ten plagues that God poured out on Egypt. And one at a time, he puts a drop of wine into the plate. And with every drop, he does that ten times, they're reminded of each of the ten plagues. Now this this part is not a celebration. This part is very sad. This part is very somber. Because in this moment, they're remembering the pain and the suffering of the Egyptian people who stood face to face with God and they rejected him. And the Passover participants are remembering what God saved them from. This very somber moment ends as things do now move to celebration. Because now it is time to eat. And the family has a feast. The family might celebrate at the Passover table from sundown all the way to midnight. This meal is leisure and it is enjoyable and it is relaxed as they get to the meal portion of the Passover. It would be very much like our Thanksgiving meal or a Christmas meal. Now, during this meal, at some point, the father takes the cup of wine, and now he, has, he pours a third cup, and this is offered as the redemption cup. Now, notice it's called the redemption cup today, and 3,000 years ago, it was called the redemption cup. It is during this time, the redemption cup, that the father brings out, or the young child goes and finds... The hidden bread. And the father must redeem the hidden bread from the child by paying him with silver. He pays the child silver and the father gets back the piece of bread that was hidden. You might say that was buried. Remember the beginning of the celebration. When there were three pieces of bread that the father put In here, three pieces of bread. He pulled out the one, he broke it in half, 
and he wrapped it separately in its own linen and then he buried it somewhere in the house. Usually the young child goes and gets it. The father purchases it for silver. Again, it's, it's not terribly difficult for us to see this 4D picture of Jesus. Three pieces of bread that the father places in linen, in unity, represent the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. But yet one of those is removed as Jesus came here to this earth for the first time separated from God the Father and God the Spirit. That same peace is broken as Jesus was broken for us, wrapped in linen and buried in the tomb. The cost for that was paid for the death of Jesus was the betrayal of Judas. And he was paid 30 pieces of silver coin. This body broken for us and wrapped in linen and placed buried. Along with the redemption cup. The father redeems the bread. At the same time, they drink the redemption cup. The father opens up this bag, which by the way, the Hebrew word actually, yeah, it's actually they use the Hebrews, strangely enough, use a Greek word to describe this bag. And the meaning of that Greek word means he comes. Interesting. The father removes this piece of bread. He breaks it into pieces one by one and he passes it out to everyone at the Passover table and he asks them to eat it. Take this and eat it. The body of Jesus was broken for us, wrapped in linen and buried. Redeemed by the Father, brought back to life. And now it's taken with the redemption cup. The father breaks every breaks this into pieces and everyone eats. In fact, this is the exact thing. It might sound familiar to you because this is the exact moment that the Gospels pick up the story of Jesus celebrating the entire Passover with his followers on the 14th of Nisan. That Wednesday. Actually, it started Tuesday night, and it went through Wednesday night. So they were doing this Tuesday night. He was leading his own followers, his closest disciples in the Passover. Judas leaves the table, and he goes off to betray Jesus. And he was sold. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Now, at this point, in all the homes of the Jewish people, the father leads the family in a blessing. The blessings don't change. 
we don't know the blessings because we're not a Jewish, we're not Jewish families. We haven't done this Passover in our homes for, since we were children and for thousands of years. We don't know the blessings. But they've done the same blessings for thousands of years. The father of the home leads a blessing. And this is the very same blessing that Jesus used that night as he was with his disciples and they were observing the Passover and what the New Testament calls the Last Supper. It was the very same blessing. Here's what the Bible says about it. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. As they were eating, so that was the celebration meal, at that portion of the Passover. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread. He removed the bread that had been hidden. This is what he's doing. He takes that bread out. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread. He blessed it. What was the blessing? Well, since we're not Jewish, we don't know. But if you ask any Jewish person, they can tell you what the blessing is. Because the blessing that they use is the same blessing that Jesus used, which is the same blessing that Moses used. It's been the same. He prayed the very same prayer. It hasn't changed. Here it is. Because I've talked to some Jewish people, we know. Here's what Jesus prayed. Here's what all, everyone prays that night as they take the bread out. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the bread from the earth. Because it's been... They don't say this, but this is why he brings it forth. Because it's been buried. And they've prayed that for thousands of years. And that's what Jesus prayed. Wow. That's so interesting to me. The Bible goes on to say, Then he broke it into pieces, talking about Jesus, because this was the portion they were in. He broke it into pieces. He gave it to the disciples. And today, still today, every father breaks that bread after he pulls it out from being buried. After he brings it out, he breaks that bread and hands it to everyone. Jesus did the very same thing. Do you see the obvious picture of Jesus in the Passover? But now, Jesus says something new. This had never been said before related to the Passover. Jesus, who is God, by the way, says something new at this moment. Here's what he said as he hands them the bread. Saying, Jesus said this, take this and eat it, for this is my body. Jesus, in this very moment, is revealing to them and to the entire world God's four-dimensional picture of the Passover. Jesus is letting us all in on God's plan, on God's creativity, on God's picture. He's letting us in on God's redemption. It's Jesus saying, my body will be broken for you. But don't worry about my death. Because God has been bringing bread from the earth since time began. And he'll bring me back as well. This third piece of, I mean, this piece of bread, the third piece from in here, is also 
this redeemed bread is also taken with the cup of redemption. And Jesus, following the Passover, did the very same thing. Matthew chapter 26, verse 27. And then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks for it. What did he say? What did Jesus say? Well, you have to be Jewish to know. Here's what he I'm not Jewish. We had to find out from a Jewish person. Here's what he said. Jesus, then he took the wine and gave thanks for it. He blessed it again. Here's what he said. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. That's what Jesus said. And you know, in just moments after Jesus said that, holding the redemption cup, Jesus would be sitting beside or standing beside some vines in just a few moments in the pitch dark, talking to his disciples about God being the vine and we are the branches. That was what was coming up next. So Jesus gave the redemption cup to them. And now once again, Jesus said something new that has not been part of the Passover before. He's letting them all know about God's four-dimensional plan here through this creative experience called Passover. And Jesus says this, each of you drink from it, in verse 28, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people, and it is poured out as a sacrifice for the, to forgive the sins of many. Wow. Jesus presented this, saying, this is the blood of the new covenant. Saying to them, join me in a relationship so that your sins will be forgiven. And Jesus went on that night not to spill wine. Jesus went on that night to spill his very blood. From horrible beatings. And then to spill his blood again on the cross. His blood fell to the ground. Just like the Passover lamb's blood was falling to the ground. But Jesus was setting this new arrangement that night between God and man. And Jesus was setting it in motion. And to finish all of this, Jesus then said, now do this in remembrance of me. In other words, to this point, you have been looking back. But you didn't realize it, but it was also pointing forward to me. And now, when you do this now, remember me. And this is where we today get our abbreviated version of the Passover, what we call today communion or the Lord's Supper. Jesus is saying, you have been remembering what God did to lead you from slavery in Egypt to freedom. Now I want you to remember what God did to lead you to eternal freedom from the slavery of sin. Now this four-dimensional picture that God gives us in Passover is almost complete, but there's one more cup of wine. It's the fourth cup. The fourth of four cups. It's called the cup of praise. But do you know what? That night that Jesus celebrated his last Passover, Jesus skipped 
this cup of wine. He did not take this cup of wine. His last cup during the Passover was the redemption cup representing his blood. He said, I'm not going to drink this cup of wine with you. No, not yet. He said, we will drink this together one day when I'm with all the believers. And he's still waiting for this cup of praise with you and with me. Here's what Jesus said in, in, in Mark. He said, and I mean in verse 29, I'm sorry. He said, mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This was the fourth cup. He said, I'm not drinking it until I drink it with you. You see, at that point, there was, there was, in just a few moments, in just a few hours, there would be no more further sacrifice needed. No more lambs would need to be sacrificed. Because after Jesus finished this next event, it would be done. It would be finished. Because he would be on the cross spilling his actual blood as a covenant between God and you. What was unclear to the Israelite nation and the Jewish people, Jesus made absolutely clear. We are saved and connected to God eternally because of the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus. And the celebration ended with a song as they would sing themselves out of the celebration. And it was not a funeral dirge. It was a celebration song. That's what the father of every home would do. They would sing and celebrate. As they ended the Passover. And this is what Jesus did as well. Even though he skipped this cup. He didn't skip this step. In verse 30. This is Jesus last Passover. Here's what happened. Then they sang a hymn. And they went out to the Mount of Olives. A hymn of celebration. But we know out at the Mount of Olives, that is where Jesus would be arrested. And that's where he would then move there to trials. And then the beatings. And then the cross. God painted us a picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, through the Passover. He gave us a four-dimensional look thousands of years before Jesus was ever born. He gave us a look at what would happen in the life of Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Messiah. And God used this multi-sensory experience as a holiday, as a festival, but it was a glimpse of what God had done, and it was a picture of what God was going to do. And Jesus came to live that picture. Jesus was the final, the complete, the perfect Lamb of God. And as the Father in the home would lead his family through Passover, I just simply say this to you. Let the heavenly Father lead your life. I'm going to ask the band to make their way up. In just a moment, we're getting ready to celebrate together communion. We have set up for you unleavened bread. We have set up for you the fruit of the vine. And I'm going to ask you to stop by each table. Those who want to, nobody has to. 
But if you were stopping by this table, because this is designed for someone who is choosing or who is following Jesus, here's what you are saying in your heart if you stop by this table. You are saying this, that I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and that three days later he rose again. He defeated death. He walked out of the tomb. You're saying that I believe that his death, his shed blood was a sacrifice for me. He purchased my life when he died on the cross. And now because he did that, my life belongs to him. While the music is playing, I'm just going to ask you, while the the band is singing this first song, I'm just going to ask you, will you please, in just a moment, come by. If, if, If you're a follower of Jesus, pick up. And when you pick it up, will you simply thank God for the sacrifice that he made for you? And when you pick up the juice to drink the juice, will you simply thank God for his shed blood on the cross for you? This is for you. Will you join us at a communion right now?